Welcome to the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast, where we go inside what makes a coach a coach. For young coaches, I think it's imperative for them to constantly keep learning, keep networking, understanding that this this profession is, is, is very competitive. The Guardians of the Game podcast is a production of the National Association of Basketball Coaches and IMG and is brought to you by Wilson Sporting Goods. And now your host, Coach Dave Odom. I want to welcome everybody back to another edition of the NABC Guardians of the Game podcast. Today's guest, and we're lucky to have him, is one of the great players in ACC history, one of the great players in college basketball history, and uh, a, a player that played uh, 11 seasons in the NBA and uh, decided he wanted to coach. And uh, and he's doing it very, very well. So want to welcome uh, the head coach, presently the head coach of the University of Central Florida, Johnny Dawkins. Welcome, Coach. Hey, how are you? Yeah, we're doing great. We are. When I've uh, been looking forward to these 30 minutes, I want to get back at you for not uh, coming to uh, UVA when you came out. But we, we're going to save that for a little bit later on uh, in the program. John, let's tell everybody about uh, Washington, D.C. high school basketball where you grew up. Macklin High School, one of the great uh, Catholic schools in uh, not only Washington, but the whole country where you grew up. Uh, you were an All-America basketball player there in, in the high school. Um, but a lot of your basketball education was learned on the hard courts out in the summertime, the heat of the summer. Tell us about growing up in Washington and, and your early uh, life as a basketball player there. Oh, wow. Well, I tell you what, it, it brings back you know just great memories. Uh, I think for me, uh, those early years really laid the foundation into who I was to become as a player. Uh, I thought that area during that time, it was just so competitive basketball-wise. No matter where you went, uh, what playground you went, there were going to be really good players. You were going to get challenged every time you stepped foot on the court. And I, was, and I benefited from that. You know, I was fortunate. I played against a lot of older players when I was younger. Uh, my father, he would go to the playground quite a bit. His uncles, which are like my brothers, would all go as well. So I was like the fifth wheel. On, with that group and when I would go out there they would let me play with them and so I was playing with men at an early age so I think I like I said I really benefited from that experience and and that helped me grow as a player as you know back then you know you lose a basketball game on the playground I mean you may sit you know an hour hour and a half depending on how many people are out there waiting for the next next game so you have to really perform well you have to win in order to to stay on the court and to still get a chance to play all day so Winning became, you know, it. It was all about winning. And, uh, and, and you had to learn your role. You had to learn who you were on the player. How could you help your team win? Because nobody was going to be happy sitting down losing and have to wait as much as an hour, hour and a half, depending on how many people were at, at the playground that day. So uh, very competitive. Uh, I loved it. And uh, I think it really helped shape you know, shape me uh, and helped me become the person I am today. So I'm, I'm thankful for, for growing up in that area and the opportunity to compete you know, at that level, you know, back then. Uh, high school-wise for me, you know, I loved it as well. I mean, I, I went to a great high school. It, was, it had a really rich basketball tradition. And uh, it was it was great for me because I had a chance to grow, you know, into my role there. Uh, I actually played freshman ball. Like nowadays, a, a really talented player that's a freshman may play varsity. 
Well, it was so many, it was so much talent at my high school and then that no way I could have played varsity. I wouldn't have been ready. But I, you know, ended up playing freshman ball, which was really good for me. And and from there, I was able to make varsity my my tenth grade year, and that, you know, led me to having some success and of course uh, being recruited nationally. But you know, before that, you know, the biggest thing I had was I, you know, I lived in Washington D.C. Then when I got to high school, my parents moved out to Maryland. <laughs> so I had to make a decision: do I want to transfer high schools or you know, to go to a high school in Maryland, do I want to still commute and go and go to the high school in D.C.? And so I decided to continue to commute and uh, because I wanted to stay at the same high school I was at. So you can imagine I had to catch a bus every morning, uh, probably, you know, 25, 30 minutes. Then I had to take the subway, which was the, which was the entire line back then in D.C. From, from Silver Spring to DuPont Circle. That was the entire, the entire line. I then I had to take a bus or either walk up to school from there. So every day I probably had an hour and fifteen, hour and fifteen, you know, hour and a half trip to school every day, and uh, to make that commitment. So, but that that taught me a lot. Also, it taught me about just being committed to something. You know, I loved where I was. I was committed to it, and uh, you're gonna do whatever it takes to make it work out. And so, I look at that as as an opportunity for me to get better. You know, even though. You know, most of my teammates and, and friends at school were living, you know, fairly close. Uh, that travel, I think I benefited from that experience as much as anything else because I had to, you know, learn how to really manage my time. You know, what am I doing on the bus? Am I studying? Am I, you know, what am I going to do? You know, because I have all that time while I'm traveling. I have, to, I have to occupy it with something. We didn't have iPhones. We didn't have uh, video games and things of that nature to, to kind of pass the time. So, I had to really lock in on becoming, you know, the best student I could become, you know, whether I was on the bus or whether I was, you know, in class. Listen, uh, you know, I don't know if people understand how how competitive it was in in uh, summer basketball uh, in Washington D.C. I mean, I, I used to go up and and watch some of the games, and you know, my my jaw would drop. I mean, it really was. Roll off some of the players that you played against, that you grew up against, that you played against on a nightly basis in New York? I mean, in, in Washington, excuse me. Uh, well, you know, players, players from my area during that time, you had Lenny Bias, you had, you know, Adrian Branch, you had, you know, you had Anthony Jones. I mean, you had Billy Martin. You had, you know, you had during that time, you know, Earl Jones was one of the, one of the great players that, that ended up going to, you know, and playing our area, you know, at Spingarn as well. Yeah, I mean, it was so many good players, you know, during that time that no matter where you went, and the guards like Jeff Baxter that went to end up going to University of Maryland, uh, Tom Sluby ended up going to Notre Dame. I mean, you look at, you know, the players there, you know, no matter where you went to go play, you were going to find a high level of competition. Whether you went to a playground that they were frequenting or you went to, a, you know, a playground that you just frequented yourself, it was always going to be good competition, and especially at the guard spot because in, in the D.C. area, everybody's a guard. So <laughs> you, you're going to, you know, there's no way you're going to get through that city and, and play at a high level. You know, to survive that, you have to be a pretty good player. And so that was the thing that really helped me because, you know, some of the, some of the to be quite frank, some of the most competitive games I had, you know, growing up, and I would say through college, you know, you know as well as uh, high school, you know, I had it. I had it in the D.C. area. You know, when I went to when I went to college, there wasn't a matchup I really faced. Very few matchups I faced that 
I wasn't prepared for about what I'd seen in the D.C. area because I'd played against so much good competition, so many different type of guards that by the time I was in college, you know, I felt my matchups were pretty easy because I had gone against really good competitive players you know, my entire life. John, I, I remember seeing you play uh, basketball in, in, in D.C., both uh, uh, at Macklin but also in, in the summer. And, I, and my impressions of you back in those days, and I still, I still believe that, you were a great athlete who had great fundamentals. I mean, it, you, you could tell. I mean, you weren't just an athlete. You were an athlete that had great fundamentals, and you really played with great basketball IQ. Some of that, and I, I think this to be true, how valuable were summer basketball camps like five-star basketball uh, camp was to you? I mean, is that where you learned your fundamentals, that, those kind of things? No, definitely. You know, I, I think basketball camps back then were instrumental in all of us developing. Because remember, we had stations. And each station was teaching you a different fundamental. And I was fortunate to be able to go to camp. You know, for my mother to send me to basketball camp and to save her for, you know, pennies for me to do that, that was difficult. So for, for me to go, I wanted to take full advantage of it. So when I went, I tried to learn as much as I could at the basketball camps, whether I was at five-star basketball camp, whether I was at the Metro basketball camp. The first one I went to was the Metro camp, which was run by, you know, Morgan Wooten and uh, Joe Gallagher. That was the first basketball camp I ever went to. And I just remember them just teaching the fundamentals of the game, you know, you know how, to, how, to, how to dribble, how to pass, how to shoot, how to get in the stand. And each station was, you know, you were going through them every single day multiple times. And I was just soaking it all up. And then I was fortunate to have really good coaches. You know, I, you know, when I went to high school, you know, Coach Paul DeStefano, you know, was a great coach. And, and so I had, I had good teachers as well. So it was that combination. But I'm, I'm glad you said, you know, what you said earlier about just, you know, not just being a really good athlete. Because I think that's important. You know, I, I took the time to learn how to play the game the right way. You know, understood, you know, it was all about, you know, how to, how to give yourself and your team the best opportunity to win. And uh, you threw yourself into that. And uh, part of that training was learning the fundamentals of the game. And like I said, just was very fortunate with the basketball camps, especially I went to five-star multiple years. You know, I went to, like I said, high school camps in my area as a, as a younger player. And I, and I benefited greatly from them because I learned the lessons that they were teaching during the camps. All right, 1982, you graduate from Macklin High School. It's time to move on. Everybody in the country recruited you. You end up at Duke University. Not, not, uh, not the Duke University basketball that we know today. Uh, you had a new coach coming in there, a guy named Mike Krzyzewski, uh from Army. Uh, but for some reason, uh, he ends up signing in 1982 a guy named Jay Billis that everybody knows, a guy named Tommy a- Amaker, who uh, was a great player from your area as well, Woodson High School. Uh, who is now coaching at uh, Harvard, the head coach up there, doing quite well. Mark Allery, who was uh, maybe, uh, well, I'll start to say the best of, of the four, but uh, uh, he was better than Billis. Can we say that? I think we can say that, can we? He was a better player than Billis was back in those days. I think, and he, he, I think you're safe <laughs> to say he, he was a better scorer than Billis. <laughs> yeah, okay, he was a better scorer than Billis. And then, and then there's some guy named Dawkins uh, uh, was number four. You guys came in together. Uh, I remember the first time I ever saw you guys as a group. Uh, we played at Duke Indoor Stadium, and I think, uh, well, I know I, I was at uh, 
uh, I was at Virginia at the time, and I think we were number one, two, or three in the country I, that particular night. I don't remember exactly what it was, but we had a great team. Ralph Sampson, Othell Wilson, another guy from uh, D.C. area, and Ricky Stokes and Jimmy Miller. and It, it was a great uh, game, uh, I mean a great team, and I think we, we beat you pretty good that night. You were a bunch of freshmen. But then about a month later, and this is the turning point in Duke basketball in my mind, we were playing at uh, in, in at Virginia, at uh, uh, our stadium up there in Virginia, and I, I was amazed. They started the game. It was a back screen lob dunk to you. You dunked the ball over Othell Wilson, and I looked at Terry Holland and said, "We're not prepared for this game." You guys went on and beat us with four freshmen on the court that night, and that that uh, to my mind. Uh, turned Duke basketball into a, a group that uh, believed. I don't know if you remember all that. Now, we went on into the ACC tournament. We got you back in, in that first round. But uh, i tell you what, uh, that, was a, that was some group that came through there. Tell us what it was like to play with them, bond with them, go all the way through four years with them, win with them, and, get, and kind of catapult Duke into what we know it is today. Wow, well, you know that's a lot. I know <laughs> it, it, it was a unique. Well, no, absolutely, but it's just, it just making me kind of reminisce. It was a unique experience. Uh, you know, we all we didn't know each other when we came together. That class ended up being, you know, uh, one of the heralded classes that year. Uh, but we didn't really know each other. I mean, I didn't I didn't get to know any any of the players from that group until you know I stepped foot on campus, and then you know, and kind of growing together. You know, we kind of. We took our lumps early on, as you just mentioned. You know, it was a, uh, you know, it was a, it was definitely a process for us where, you know, where we started, where we finished were, were were uniquely different. You know, we started off where we were eleven and seventeen my freshman year, and we had our struggles. We lost some tough games, as they, as you just mentioned before, the ACC was so so talented. You guys were great. Carolina was great. You know that that year, you know, NC State wins the national championship. So I mean, it's it's uh. You know, it's it's so competitive, and and uh, we took our lumps, as I said. But it was good for us because the thing that happened was, you know, even though we went through that adversity, you know, the following year when it was time to come back, the majority of us all came back. You know, th- there was a time where that would happen, and and maybe guys would look at transferring and maybe dissolving the squad and and guys going their own direction. But but we kind of it just galvanized us, you know. We it, it made us closer, you know. We knew we need each other that much more to be successful, and and we were able to start to turn it. You know, I, 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 that freshman year was was good from the standpoint. I can remember looking at the NCAA tournament and just just being miserable, you know, watching the tournament games, and we're not even we're not even in consideration for anything. And I I can remember just thinking like, you know what? this can never happen again. You know, this can never happen. You know, I want to be on that stage. We want to be on that stage, you know, and compete against the best teams, you know, in the NCAA tournament. And so the following year, you know, before that year started, we actually took the team over to France and we went to France. That was a great experience for us. We continued to bond. You know, we had some tough games over there, but it also helped us get better. It helped us get better. And so when we returned back to campus for that following season, you know, we got off to a terrific start. You know, we got off to a really fast start, played very well, and then, uh, you know, propelled us into conference play. You know, once we got in conference play, as you know, it's going to be different. And it's going to be, I mean, everybody knows everybody. Everybody's well scouted. 
And we got up to a slow start in conference play, to be quite frank, maybe one and two, one and three. But it was a slow start. And and it's kind of like, okay, we struggled the year before in conference play, and now here we go again. And uh, we turned it, though. Our guys started to really focus in. We locked in on what we had to do uh, to win, and we were able to turn it end up and end up finishing that season up really, really strong and uh, going to the ACC tournament. And actually, in the ACC tournament, we are actually playing Carolina, and they're like one of the top teams in the nation, maybe number one, but they're in the top top five in the nation for sure. And we play them, and uh, we beat them in the semis in an unbelievable game. And when we win that game, we now all of a sudden we blink. We're sophomores, and we're playing for a championship in the ACC tournament. So just how fast from one year to the next, all of a sudden we're playing for a championship. Now, we went on and lost that game to the University of Maryland with Lenny Bias and, and Adrian Branch and that group. They played great, and they outplayed us and won. But it also gave us a, a chance, a glimpse of what we could be. And uh, so that following year, after we went to the NCAA tournament and lost that year, we, the following year, we have a solid year. You know, we're probably a top 25 team all year long. Uh, we're playing well. You know, we were consistent. And we have a chance almost to, to win the ACC. I think it ended up being like a three or four teams high. And I think we just missed out by a game. We lost the game late, and uh, we would have been in a tie you know, right up there with the top teams. And so we fell short, but it motivated us. I can remember that junior year when we, when we fell short. And I remember that junior year when we went to the NCAA tournament and we didn't, uh, we didn't go as far as we would want, we wanted to go. I looked over at one of my teammates who was a senior. Uh, his name was, you know, Danny Mahar. And he was just, I mean, he was, he was in bad shape. You know, you know, we, we all took losses bad. I mean, we all did, you know, we took them bad and, but he was visibly just, I mean, he was just, the, the emotion was just pouring out of him. And I can remember him just mumbling something. I could hear him saying it, and he kept saying, you know, you guys just don't understand, you guys don't understand. And people were consoling him, and, and I'm going, like, I mean, what, is he, what does he mean? I'm waiting for him to kind of, you know, elaborate on, you know, we don't understand. And finally he said, you know, you guys don't understand. This is it for me. You know, I don't have a chance to do this over again. This is my last year. You know, you guys can all come back. Wow. I can't. And he kept saying, I can't. And that, that's, I mean, that's still carved in me. Like right now, when I even think about saying it still is the emotion in me, I can, I can feel it. You know, it, it was right then and there, I remember saying to myself, you know what, this isn't going to happen. This is not how we're going to end our careers here. This is not how this is going to end. You know, we're going to, you know, we're going to go play for, we're going to play for a national championship. You know, we're going to play for an NCAA championship. This is what we're going to do. And uh, I can remember just, you know, making that pledge to myself, you know, literally that, you know, that at that evening after that game, because I just felt so bad about how we ended that season, and that led us to our senior year. And uh, we had a magical season. You know, that that senior year, you know, we we had the preseason NIT, which is the first one I believe that, that of the preseason NITs that was started was in '86. You know, '85, '86. We win. You know, we win that tournament, and in that tournament with three out of the four teams that played for the national championship. That field was pretty competitive. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was, that was amazing. We go on to win the regular season championship in the ACC outright. We win the uh, ACC tournament championship, you know, two goals that we had set. Now we had accomplished those. And now we have a chance to get into the NCAA tournament and compete for the national championship. And uh, I'll never forget that first game in the tournament. You know, we played Mississippi Valley State. And we're down at halftime. We're down toward the end of the game, and I mean they're 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 just outplaying. I mean it was I mean they were playing great basketball, 
And I'm thinking, I'm looking around with four or five minutes to go and like, you know, we have to win this game, you know, because, you know, we're going to continue to play, you know, we're going to play for a national championship. And uh, we dug down, we dug deep and managed to pull that game out. And from that game into the final four, I don't think we had a game that was probably within 10 points all the way to the final four. So our closest game going to the final four was the very first game versus Mississippi Valley State. So I've always learned from that tournament just how unforgiving it is and that you, you got to be so focused because it just takes one off night, one game where you're not, you know, at the level you need to be at and you're gone home for the rest of the year. So you have to be prepared for that. And I thought our guys did a great job of responding in a game where we may not have been at our best, but we managed to get a win. And that propelled us on through the rest of the tournament. Of course, we go on to play in the, you know, in, in the Final Four. We knock off Kansas, followed by uh, you know, playing Louisville in the national championship game. And Louisville gets us. You know, give them credit. They played a great basketball game. It was a hard-fought contest. But uh, it was an amazing experience. To, to see where we started at 11-17 and 17, and to see that same team finish at 37-3, and 3, and I think that time we set the record for most wins during the uh, during the regular during 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 the season at 37. That record was just broken probably about five or six years ago. I think when uh, Kentucky I think won eight won 38. So that record stood for about 20 years. So it was a uh, it was it was it was amazing. It was amazing experience. But the best part about it was it was my teammates. Uh, how close that made us because of you know what we went through. Uh, when you go through that type of adversity early on in our careers. I mean, at that time, you know, you don't know, you know, if your coach is going to be there at the end of that first year. You don't know, you know, what players are going to be there based on, you know, that adversity we're facing. If guys are going to go elsewhere to go compete. But everybody stuck together, you know, and, and, and uh, the administration, you know, kept coach there, you know, Coach K there. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just – it ended up being just an amazing experience from that point on. Where, where the program's trajectory just changed. And it's kind of been fun to watch that happen. And it's been, you know, it's even been, you know, it's, it, was, it was great to be a part of that, you know, the turning point. And it's been amazing just to watch how, how they've been able to sustain that excellence over the decades. All right, so you finished up your career at Duke. You scored 2,556 points, leading score in the history of uh, Duke University, which was broken, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I guess, J.J. Redick. I uh, got you, but he took more shots than you did. I know that. So, so Wait, uh, no, he, he, had, he had more. He had more threes than I had. More threes. I mean, there you go. We didn't have right. threes back then. Remember? Uh, that's right. That's exactly right. Uh, yeah, I, I kid Skip Brown at uh, at uh, Wake Forest. I said, you know, Skip had had three point uh, line when you were playing. You'd still be playing, and he he probably would have it. But and it might have been the, the case for you as well. Uh, but but uh, Johnny, you were named. Uh, in 1986, the, in, uh, the Naismith Player of the Year Award in the country, um, fit one of the 50 best players in the history of the ACC. So you had a stellar career in college. You went on into the NBA. Spurs drafted you at number 10. You played later with the 76ers, Pistons. But you wanted a coach. And uh, so you were lucky enough to uh, – there was a spot on Coach uh, Krzyzewski's, uh staff. He came back. He gave you a chance. And – uh, you came in there in 1998. You stayed there for 10 years. Last several years there, you were the associate head coach on his staff, and you 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 get the job at um, Stanford as the head coach out there. You go out there and win a 
couple of NITs, which I think is amazing because I think the NIT is an important tournament, and you did a nice job there. So, and, and here you are at the uh, University of Central Florida, different than Stanford. Talk to us about the difficulties in, uh, you know, transitioning from being an assistant coach to, uh, at Duke to a head coach at Stanford and then later moving from Stanford to Central Florida. Oh, I, I tell you what, uh, it's, it, it was a whirlwind for me. You know, it, you know I, I could have stayed at Duke forever, of course. I loved where I was. I loved working for Coach. And, uh, and it's just that an opportunity presented itself that, that, you, that you really couldn't say no to. And uh, the opportunity was to go coach, you know, a, a coach at a program similar to where I was, but on the West Coast. So there was no real conflict of interest there from the standpoint of coaching the program and recruiting and everything that goes along with that. Uh, so I, so it, was a, it, was a, it was a wonderful experience. You know, eight years out there, you know, I enjoyed them. Like you said, two NIT championships. We also, you know, went to the NCAA and, and, and went to the Sweet 16, you know, knocking off Kansas along the way to do that. So that was a wonderful run for that group and our team. And, and we finished out well there. You know, we finished out, you know, with a, you know, with, with a group of guys that I, that I, got a chance to coach and really got the chance to enjoy developing while I was there. So that was a fun experience. Of course, you know, as this profession is, it's volatile and change is inevitable. And, uh, you, you know, you find yourself, you know, okay, now you're not, you know, you don't have a coaching job. And, you know, I get offered, a, you know, opportunity to coach at, at UCF. And uh, I looked at it as an amazing opportunity. You know, I, I didn't know much about the university, but as I started studying and learn more about it, I just saw just a lot of potential in what it could become. And, uh, you know, and, and I've always liked that. To me, that's, that's the challenges that I've always, you know, enjoyed the most is uh, the ability to kind of, you know, see something, you know, early on and, 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 and with the possibilities of something, you know, being great or being special when it's all said and done. And, and, I, and I see that in UCF. That's why UCF, that's why I've been so excited about, you know, being here in this opportunity. And, and we've, we, we've done a good job. You know, we, we have a lot more work to do. You know, we're in the process of becoming what we think we can become. But, but I think we're, we're headed in the right direction. Uh, our young people are, uh, they have high character, they compete, and, uh, and they want to get better. And so that's something that, you know, that excites me every day that I get to go in the gym with them. And, uh, and the same thing with them off the court. They, they, they don't want to just get by. They want to be good both on and off the court. So it's been exciting working with the young people here and this administration. And I just see, you know, special things that are possible here if we continue to, to build it in the right dire- and go in the right direction. Well, John, uh, you know, you came up uh, at Duke under one of the great coaches. Uh, you were a player there. You coached there. You were in closed-door meetings with uh, Coach Krzyzewski. Um, You know, he's, uh, uh, re- you know, re- no question about it. He's one of the great coaches, if not the best coach of all time uh, in college basketball, certainly the winningest coach. There's no, no debating that. Um, but as you set out on your first coaching job at Stanford apart from Duke. Surely you took a great deal of what you learned at Duke with you, but you found that you couldn't be Mike Krzyzewski the same way that he was. You had to kind of mold your own way of doing things, and hopefully it comes out the way it did at Duke, but you got to do it your own way. Is that not true? 
Yeah, you you've been in this business for a long time. You know it, Coach. Uh, the way I like to put it is, my first year, I, I thought I, I mean, I was so prepared for so many different situations because the one thing Coach, you know, Kay has always done is with the staff is he empowers you to do do so much. Like he doesn't limit what you do on the court. He doesn't limit what you do, you know, in the community. So so you get a chance to grow, and uh, I was growing so much that there weren't too many situations that I had faced that I hadn't already been in for him. So that was that was that was that's where I think I benefited so much from from being under him and, and his guidance. Uh, but the one area that 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 I wasn't quite prepared for was was understanding you know the systems and and it, it, it and it showed that I wasn't as prepared you know when it came time for you know on the court and what we're going to do as far as the team. You know, my first instincts was to do what I that we've done at Duke, and I was like, okay. This is what we've done. This is how we're going to guard the ball. This is how we're going to get after people. And uh, and I didn't recognize that first year that my personnel wasn't built for that. You know, I had to learn that as I went. It took me it took me that first season realizing like, oh, what a knucklehead was that I was that that uh that I was trying to force you know some young guys to play in a way that they really weren't prepared to play. And I was trying to get it that I was trying to get it there no matter what, as opposed to, you know, taking a step back and saying, you know what, maybe you know this this square peg isn't going to fit in this round hole, and so let me look at another way of doing this. And and if I have you know one thing I look back on, it was that is that first year, you know, defensively, I didn't think I, I gave our chain our team the, the chance to to be as successful as I think I could have now as an older coach with a with a, a different level of understanding of. You can't take everything from where you know from where you were because your personnel has to be, you know, you know, set up for that. And and my personnel wasn't, but that was a life lesson. I grew from that experience. I think it's made me a better coach because I've had to learn to make that adjustment and be okay with you know, with hey, knowing that, like I tell my players all the time, I said, look, the first person I'm gonna look at every time something goes wrong is not you guys. First person I'm gonna look at is me. You know, and I got that from Coach. You know, Coach K would always say, you know, the first person that he's going to look at it was himself. And that's not looking at our, our team and players initially and look at what we could have done better. And then we trickle down to see what we can help them, you know, make the adjustments that they need to make. And so I've taken that approach, and I think it's, it's been great for me and my growth, and I think it's been great for our program's growth. John, uh, you're on the NABC Board of Directors. Um, the NABC for years has really worked hard to – contribute to the game and, and uh, keep it, uh, keep the game uh, above board. Uh, ethically, uh, the NABC board has, uh, I, I think, really done a great job of providing opportunities for young coaches uh, to learn about the game, to learn about the profession, to grow in the game. Uh, not everybody uh, can go from Macklin High School in, in Washington, D.C. to Duke to the NBA and then uh, to back to Duke and then Stanford and then uh, uh, UCF. I mean, it, it, they're different paths. Uh, what advice, if any, would you give young coaches uh, as it relates to uh, trying to find their place in, in what we know of uh, college basketball coaching? Well, well, I've been blessed. You know, as you just mentioned before, when you just talked about some of the things that I've been fortunate enough to be a part of, and like I said, I wake up every morning, I pray, and I get to work. And uh, and I, I think for, for young coaches, 
I think it's imperative for them to constantly keep learning, keep networking, understanding that this, this profession is, is, is very competitive. I mean, when you think about it, there are 450 NBA players. Not many, right? They're, they're, they're more neurosurgeons than they are NBA players. But think about this number. There are only 351 Division One coaches, head coaches. So this is rare for these opportunities to come about. So when you have these opportunities, you know, it's incumbent upon you to, to make the most out of them. And I don't mean the most, but always with wins and losses, but also about, you know, what you're representing. You know, are, you know, are you taking care of your student athletes the right way on and off the court? Are they, are they developing? Are you helping them to become better? So I would say for all young coaches is keep educating yourself, keep networking, and just, just pour your heart and soul into it because what you're going to put in, Give, give to this game, trust me, you're going to get back tenfold. Because this game, you know, if you, if you look at this game and view yourself as serving and that, and that ended the take, then you're going to be rewarded every single day that you wake up and go to work. Because you're working with beautiful young people that you can affect their futures, man. And that's something that, I, that, that you have to take seriously. So, you know, I say it's important to uh, just look at yourself as a server, not as someone just trying to take. And, uh, and use this profession for your own means, look at giving. And the way you give is by, by, by teaching these young people that you have a chance to interact with every day, how to become, you know, terrific, you know, student athletes, how to become great citizens once they leave college, how to prepare them for life after this sport is over. You know, that's what we're charged with being able to do. And uh, sometimes I think the wins and losses can kind of cloud that and people lose, can lose perspective. So, Keep a perspective on how fortunate you are to be in this profession and just work hard at it every day and look to serve in this profession and that take from it. Landscape of college basketball right now is different. Uh, you've got a college education. I know you value your, your degree from Duke. You were a poly, political science major there, and you, uh, I'm sure that that has helped you in numerous ways since you've been out. Uh, not everybody goes to college, not every student athlete goes to college for uh, four years and gets a degree. Some of them go in there one year and they're out, two years and they're out. Um, how do you advise uh, players that are on your team uh, to kind of evaluate their, themselves and what they should do? Well, I always try to give them, you know, the advice that I think my parents would give me when making those decisions. First of all, you know, a lot of these young people, you know, don't have very much. And so, you know, when the opportunity arises for some of them to have these opportunities to go and make guaranteed money in the NBA, you know, it's my job to let them know that that, that decision is okay because that's something that's important for them. And if it, that will change the trajectory of their family. And so I just want to make sure that when they make that decision that they understand that they still need to come back and get their degree. They still need to continue to educate themselves. Just because you leave early to go to college or you left out of high school or you leave after one year doesn't, make, doesn't mean you can't continue to, to educate yourself. I mean, there are players that I, that I would consider role models now for, for the modern NBA player, and that would be players like Kobe Bryant, players like LeBron James. These guys didn't go to college, but if, if you listen to them, if you see the things that they're, they're involved with, you know, business-wise, they, they, they're, doing, they're making some amazing decisions. And, uh, you know, for their future beyond basketball, and they, they, and they didn't have a college degree to do that with. So that means they're still learning from, from advisors and people around them. They're still learning from reading and doing other things academically to 
to continue to better themselves. And so I would challenge all these young people, even if they are talented enough to go, is understand that you still should, you know, continue to educate yourself. You can still come back and get your degree if, if it's possible. Because eventually you, you'll want to have children. If you have children, what are you going to tell your son or daughter when that time comes and they have to make a tough decision like that? Well, they go, well, Dad, you didn't get your degree. <laughs> so, you know, we can say, well, I, I made a lot of money playing in the pros or whatever. I mean, that, that only goes so far. And so you, I think you need to understand the, the value, the impact that that degree has, regardless if you've gotten it early within your four years or you've gotten it when you're 35 or 34. It doesn't matter. Just continue to you know, educate yourself and, and, and to strive to get a degree so that, you're, so that your family's legacy has that written in it. And so that, that, that would be my approach and the things that I tell our young people that, uh, about the importance of education. You know, I'm, I was a product of that. And I had to make that decision, you know, when I was in college. And, and uh, you know, of course, I went all four years. And uh, I loved my experience. And uh, I, want, I want, you know, all these young people that we have a chance to coach to love their experience, whether it's for a year, whether it's for four years, I want them to have a, 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 a meaningful experience and something that when they leave, they can say they were better from being, you know, in that environment than, than when they came there. And, and if they can do that, then I think we're putting our young people on the right path. John, I want to take just a second and thank you for spending the last 30 so 30 or so minutes uh, with us and taking me down memory lane one more time through Washington, D.C. and Duke and ACC and the NBA and uh, your coaching career, which is uh, you're really impacting uh, so many kids in, in, a, in a good way. And I think you just it's a wonderful thing that that you're serving on the NABC board and uh, it's just a, a really, really good story. So, um, you know, on behalf of the NABC, we thank you for uh, the time and uh, that you've spent uh, working in behalf of the Guardians of the Game podcast. And to you personally, John, I'm going to be uh, – I've always been a fan of yours. I'll be following uh, your your team's progress this year at uh, the University of Central Florida, the uh, one of the biggest uh, universities in the country in a great league. Uh, and and uh, I know you're going to bring your team along and uh, do great things in not only that uh, league, but also nationally. So thank you so much. Welcome uh, again. Uh, thank you uh, for being with us, and we look forward to following you for out. For those of you uh, who are listening, who are interested in learning more about the NABC, uh, you should visit online the NABC. Com. It gives you all the information about the Guardians of the Game and other information about the NABC. 